the axe of the blood god. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Axe of the Blood God, US Gamer's official RPG podcast. I'm your host, Cat Bailey. With me, as always, my lovely co-host, Nadia Oxford. Hello, everybody. How are you all doing? I am doing well, thank you. In the midst of a busy week, as mm. Mike Williams is out covering a review event, and Mike does so very much for the site on a regular basis, so I've been having to fill in uh, for a lot of his stuff. But of course, there's a lot just happening in the games industry uh, this week, Visceral Games uh, got shut down. We talked mm-hmm. about that on the other podcast. Um, games been coming out. South Park came out this week, which we'll be talking a little bit, just just a smidge about yes, that we one. We talked about it a lot on our other podcast. If you yeah, we talked about it that. at some length on the other podcast, mostly a, mostly about South Park itself. Yeah, uh-huh. but, but really the game and the, the cartoon are really inseparable from each other. So that tells you a little bit about the game. But maybe we'll talk a little bit about more of the mechanics in this mm-hmm. one, more of the RPG mm-hmm. related stuff. Ones. Yes, uh, we'll talk about Etrian Odyssey 5, which I've been playing. And of course, we'll continue on with our Final Fantasy IX report. Oh, yeah. And Nadia, I got to play this Secret of Mana re- remake. Yes, I did. I will yes. talk about that. Uh, before we get started, by the way, uh, I, I wrote an article earlier this week, which I, I think is pertinent to the podcast, Nadia. Mm-hmm. It's about grinding. Oh, yes, that you had some things to say about grinding and not the kind that's like you do on the prom floor either. Ha! Okay, thank you, Nadia. <laughs> what do you think of grinding, way. Nadia? It really depends on the game. Um, if I have, you know what, if I'm in the mood, uh, it can be. I can find it really relaxing if I just kind of put on my own tunes and just you know, grind for an hour or two. And honestly, I, I am not nearly as against it as you are. I am not a fan and I lay out a lot of the reasons on uh, I, I lay out a lot of the reasons in my article, but what it boils down to is grinding was always a compromise mm-hmm. uh, in terms of design, which initially it was because, oh, we don't have a lot of memory. Uh, so we need to find a way to artificially extend the gameplay experience. Right. And so developers would do that by pumping up the difficulty. Or in the case of RPGs, oh, well, let's just make the bosses really outrageously strong. And, hmm? I said, oh, God, yeah. I'm just remembering Legend of Ligaia. That was my main problem with it. Yeah, and so you have to spend a whole bunch of time grinding, and it's always kind of filler it's kind of be between time that you're sitting here trying to get your character up to a certain level. And the only reason you do it is because there's the promise of you're getting to the good stuff. Right, right. It, it's very much a, when are we getting to the fireworks fi- factory <laughs> kind of thing. Fireworks factory. I will um, kind of alter my response to you. I don't mind grinding when it's not an absolute requirement. And especially if it's not something I'm expected to do over and over again within the game. Sometimes I just do it for the hell of it, for fun to, you know, for the fun of taking out a, a boss character with one hit. But if it's something I'm repeatedly forced to stop and do, it, it gets old very fast. And I would like count that as a strike against the game. Yeah, optional grinding. Uh, more recently, <laughs> I've not been a big fan of grinding because grinding has become this natural artifact of the increased monetization of games. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So. I see. They're like, oh, well, you know, you could spend money, but if you don't want to spend money, you can spend 10 hours grinding instead. 
Exactly, yeah. See, that's really kind of scummy, and you're absolutely right. That's a problem. You know what I find remarkable, by the way? Hmm? I'm amazed that there haven't they haven't put artificial accelerators, like microtransactions, into Pokemon yet. I, I don't want to give Pokemon, the Pokemon company any ideas here. I was going to say, don't say such horrible things. You'll summon demons with those words. Although, I don't know, I guess it, a lot would depend on what Nintendo says. I mean, even Pokemon Go, uh, you can't really pay to win... There, you can buy things like Pokeballs, yes, but mm-hmm. you can't buy candies or things that like artificial that enhance your Pokemon. But it's not pay to win, but it is a. They do include accelerators where it's like, oh no, you just ran out of items. Sorry. I mean, you could wait and you can grind up. Or the pace of the the pace of advancement really grinds to a halt if you don't spend money in that game. In Pokemon Go, uh, yeah. a lot depends on where you live. If you live in a place with a lot of Pokestops, you can fill up your items in, like, just taking a walk around the block. Uh, mm-hmm. But you're right, if you live in a in a place with sparse Pokestops, mm-hmm. uh, you're screwed. So it's, it's really a city dwellers game. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that was established a long time ago. Yeah, <laughs> that's why I'm still playing, too. In terms of MMORPGs... Um, like the whole function of that genre essentially is to keep you grinding and so that you keep paying money for your monthly subscription. And more recently, games like Destiny don't have any particular end game. So the way that they account for the fact that they don't want players to go away is they just have players kind of mindlessly grinding through like daily quests and things like that. Yeah. It's yeah. not great. No. It's not that fun. It's not that inspired. It's not that interesting. And I think that, yeah, there are people who will say, oh, I like this and I find it relaxing and I enjoy it. But I often, I mean, there are people who have different strokes for different folks and stuff, but it's often strikes me as people just kind of making the best of a bad mechanic. Yeah, it actually, uh, I think I've talked about this before. It really reminds me of uh, a lot of the mobile MMO RPGs that came over from like Korea and uh, China back in the day, they were very much like check in every day for a daily bonus. And of course, other games adapted that as well. But now it's on consoles and PC, I suppose. Yeah, grinding is the reason that I don't play Pokemon that much anymore. <gasps> really? Yeah, it just takes too long to raise up a monster at this point. Well, you're, you're, you're talking about like the competitive element, though. Like, yeah. With, uh, yeah, I can totally understand that. Like in the game, there's there's rarely any uh, necessity for grinding, especially since they now have that stupid item that distributes experience points to all the Pokemon. The experience share? Experience share, yeah, because otherwise, God, I actually raised a Magikarp from, like, scratch. What a nightmare. Oh, why'd you do that? (laughs) I wanted a a strong Gyarados. Gyarados? It's Gyarados. Gyarados? Is it Gyarados? It's Gyarados, Nadia. Gyarados. Gyarados, jeez. What's that name a play on? I don't know. Usually the names are a play on something. I thought it was Gyrodos back in the day, but no, it's Gyarados. Uh, yeah, if you want to raise a Pokemon properly, competitively, mm-hmm. first of all, you have to get dittos that have perfect stats. Yeah, no kidding. Which is a, a well, it's a challenge in of itself. I ended up just basically trading with people online being like, hey, can you... There are people who are really nice. They're like good Samaritans online. I know, I know. Jeez, like here, here's my Zubat. Can you give me a legendary? <laughs> I was basically will. taking advantage of good Samaritans who live to serve in Aww. giving out just free stuff, which yeah. I love because they're like, it makes them feel good. And I'm like, I will take advantage of your kindness. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. That's why you're being kind. And that's why I take advantage of it. So I would 
load up on a whole bunch of uh, perfect dittos, and then I would use that to breed monsters with the proper mm-hmm. stats. But mm-hmm. that even that takes a little bit because you have to ride back and forth, mm-hmm. hatching the eggs, which is annoying, or you have to oh, stick yeah. it in the incubator or something. Sometimes there are there are features in the game that will help stuff hatch faster. Yeah, you can have Pokemon in your party who will help eggs hatch faster. But the fact of the matter is, you still have to ride back and forth till you get the monster you need, and then you get the monster you need. And you have to pump it up with steroids that cost money. <laughs> you have to attach items that take a while to get. And then you have to either do the boring training mini game, or you have to take them out uh, to certain areas of the map and kill a whole bunch of stuff until they have reached a certain point uh, in their training where they've had enough EVs distributed. And then you have to take them and level them up uh, against the Elite Four. Jeez, it takes like less effort to raise a racehorse. Yeah, uh, back in the day, it could take a couple days to. Yeah. It took me like a solid week to raise some monsters back in the day. Like the just the amount of sheer effort it, that it took to get the perfect base stats. Mm-hmm. Now you can do it in a couple hours. Yeah, which doesn't sound so bad until you consider that you're spending like a good week, um, potentially raising up a complete party. Mm-hmm. It's like it can take a few days to raise a few uh, a complete party, which is just a huge outlay of time, and it's and all busy work. Blitzed. It's not it's not that interesting, and it really slows down the the pace of the actual competitive battling. Uh, the it makes it hard to keep up with competitive battling. Yeah. And plenty of people will be like, "Oh, well, cat. I mean, that's Pokemon. That's Pokemon." And I'm like, "Yeah, I mean, that's fair. You know." Uh, but I just kind of burned out on it after a while. I just wanted yeah. to be able to have the monsters that I want with the stats that I want so that I could battle with them. That's actually the reason I'm not really into competitive battling at all, minus like, you know, playing with my friends. Uh, I'm the kind of person who collects Pokemon that are cool and cute. And like all, all the ugliest Pokemons are the ones that will kill you. I'm mm-hmm. like, I don't want to use a Clefki. I, I, I want an Arcanine. No, you can't use Arcanine. Arcanine sucks. Well, like, he's my favorite. Shut up. Clefki's all right. It's a set of keys. I don't know. <laughs> Some of these designs, I swear to God. I have to admit, I kind of like the crazier Pokemon, like Klefki and Palisand and all that. Yeah. Oh, that, is that the Haunted Sandcastle? The Haunted Sandcastle. I think I wrote an article about that a, a couple of years ago when the game was still, when uh, Sun and Moon were first coming out. Oh, uh, I love the Haunted how, Sandcastle. Yeah, like, just how... Because I've played so many Pokemon imitators where they, they think, oh, well, you know, we'll just... Make breed a wolf with a dragon, and look, look how cool this monster is. It's like, yeah, but that takes no guts. Making a haunted sandcastle or a haunted set of keys, that's ballsy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, we got a lot to cover in this episode, so I don't want to linger too much on this whole thing. I almost feel like this could be an entire episode, but uh, mm-hmm. go read the article. It's on the site. It's our latest uh, starting screen column, which comes out every Monday, which you should keep an eye out for. Okay, Nadia, uh, let's talk about Secret of Mana remake, which you just put up a preview for, and you got to play earlier this week. Uh, How is it, I mean, your headline on your preview is, the Secret of Mana remake needs some spit, shine, and polish to reach its full potential, so uh, kind of explain that to me. Uh, Well, it kind of says it there in the headline. Um, I was, here's the thing about the Secret of Mana remake, I was a little bit hesitant about it at first, when it first announced, I wrote an article uh, just kind of complaining about the visuals, saying that I don't think the 2.5D style fits Secret of Mana, which is a very, in its sprite form, is very lush and very uh, 
interesting looking game. Uh, having played it uh, for a little bit past the first boss, I can say now it actually it actually looks a lot better than I thought it would. I, I had the the visuals have grown on me. I think the enemies look great. They animate really well. Uh, the bosses, like I only fought one boss, the Mantis Ant, the first boss, and he looks fantastic. Just the way in the you know how in the original game he was basically a two D sprite that always faced forwards. Now he's like a full rendered model. He, he looks cool. really interesting. It looks really cool. That's all great. Uh, my problem with the game so far is that uh, some of the animations are really stiff with the NPCs, especially. Uh, one example I gave in the article is that like when you uh, first meet the the bully character who tries to beat you up at the at the start of the game. Uh, he doesn't, like, raise his arm or anything just to hit you. You just get that impact flash that you get on the SNES, which looks really weird in a game that's so, like, fully rendered the way that game is. Uh, same thing with the cannon travel. You don't climb into the cannon, just kind of, like, I, I don't know how to explain it, merge into it the way you did with the SNES, which looked fine in 16 bits, but looks really weird in, in 3D. Um, yeah, so so just, like, Stuff like that. Uh, there were some bugs. Uh, the thing that really stands out is the game's fully voiced, which is great. And the voices are okay. They're not terrible. They're not great. But the, no one's lips move, even in the cinema scenes, huh. which is like, okay, that looks it's really very PlayStation, weird. isn't it? Not even. At least PlayStation had like flapping mouths. Like, it's all I'm asking Not really. Not in Final Fantasy VII. I guess you're right. Yeah, they didn't even have mouths. Shit. <laughs> but I don't know. They, I just kind of got the impression that they're beaming their messages into my head. Like, get out of my mind, Charles. Uh, but uh, yeah, there's that. Um, there were some bugs. I saw like an NPC kind of swimming in the ground. It was really weird. That was that was interesting. Um, but here's the thing about that too: is the game's not coming out until February, and there's so there's every chance that we'll see some more polish. I'm sure the bugs will be fixed, at least the worst of them. Uh, one thing that's interesting is that the literature I was handed about the game says that there will be an, a remastered soundtrack, and they just had the original soundtrack in there, so it just probably it was a placeholder. And if that was a placeholder, there's probably more stuff coming that I don't know about yet. So overall, I'm cautiously positive about the game. I, I am looking forward to the final product in February. What was it like going back to Secret of Mana? I mean, when was the last time you played it? Uh, on the SNES Classic. <laughs> oh, really? So you actually played some Secret of Mana and you picked it up again? Yeah, I picked it up again. Like, it's a game I, I pick up like very often just to, to play through it for the hell of it. It's my, it's my fun game, you know, the comfort food game. Uh, so that was interesting because the hit detection is not bad or anything like that, but it is a little different. So since it's a, when something's a little off in a game you're so familiar with, it takes some getting used to, but it was fine in the end. I kind of wish that they weren't using voice actors. You know what? If I would be okay with no voice actors. Um, they are, there are going to be Japanese. There is a Japanese option, though, so I'll turn that on because, again, the voices were like, okay, you're obviously not Square's best talent. <laughs> I'm sorry to, to insult you guys, but... Uh, you're not the worst talent either, to be honest. It was very middle of the road. It's not a bad looking game. No. Um, like I said, the parts that shine, like, they look good. I, I, the, the, I would fully rescind my co- complaints about how the game looks, if not for the fact that there's those stiff NPCs and those stiff animations. Yeah. I mean, the stiff animations are too bad. Uh, you were speculating that maybe the, the final version might have some kind of improvements and that kind of thing? Yeah, I, I think there's there's still lots of time. There's still plenty of time to just kind of sand out the rough edges to, you know, just kind of get 
like I said, there could be certain placeholders there. Uh, this is, I think it's an older demo. Like, of course, Toronto's not exactly Square Enix's first stop when they're, when they're uh, <laughs> showing off preview stuff. And I think Chris Kohler uh, previewed this build um, just a, 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 as soon as it was revealed, basically, which was I don't know, a month or two ago. So there's probably been some work done in, in the interim. I'm going to say it, Nadia. Say it. I'm going to say it. What? I am going to say that this game needs to be on Nintendo Switch, goddammit. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's just kind of obvious news right there. Why yeah, are they it, putting it on the Vita? Aside from the know. fact that they're catering to the Japanese audience. But even the We're Japanese like, don't play the Vita that much I was anymore. Say, even the even Japan's kind of really abandoning the Vita in droves in favor of the Switch. And having seen it on the, the PlayStation, uh, the PlayStation Four build, it looks great, like in that full resolution. So I have I see no problems with it being on the Switch at all. No, absolutely not. This is, I mean, it would be really good on the Switch because I mean the Switch is a a natural local multiplayer system uh, that. Yeah would be a lot of fun to kind of break out with your friends and yeah i don't i don't know maybe it'll come out to the nintendo switch later probably it, it was started development on it before the nintendo switch was kind of a thing and they're like going damn it yeah i but think a lot of i bet a lot of developers are going damn it we need to put this on the switch <laughs> we didn't a have the foresight they're planning ports um although there is a secret amount collection for the switch in, in japan yeah yeah but haven't. it's the kind of the classic look it's a classic look. I think it has the original Game Boy uh, Final Fantasy Adventure, which is funny because they did a remake of that that's kind of in the style of the new Secret of Mana, and I was surprised that wasn't included. Um, but yeah, you're talking about the original uh, Secret of Mana 2, which, again, has a remake on the, on mobile already, which uses different sprites, and it looks pretty good. I'd love to see a fully realized version of that. And Seeking Densetsu 3. I'm going to say something controversial now. What's that? Hmm... I don't think this this remake is necessary. Speaking of somebody who's playing Secret of Mana right now, I think it holds up just fine. Oh, yeah, I, I totally agree. I, like I said, it's a game that I play over and over again, even though I admit it has flaws. It also has some stuff it does really, really well. It has a certain charm and atmosphere that no other game can duplicate. So I am just going to play it because I am really enthusiastic about Secret of Mana. But... If someone said to me, like, oh, should I skip the original and play this instead? I'd probably say, no, give the original a try. And if you really like it, by all means, go for the remake. Yeah, truly, all I want is that Seiken Densetsu collection so that I yeah. can play classic Secret of Mana on my Switch. That's about it. Yeah, I, I think I would... Secret of Mana on the SNES looks better uh, from a graphical standpoint. It definitely has more character. Um like we said, it doesn't look the remake doesn't look bad by any means, but it's uh, it looks already like a game that Square has already done, which again is uh, Adventures of Mana. Mm-hmm. No, nothing really looks like Secret of Mana. Even the other Mana games don't look like it. Yeah, I, I suppose that not everybody has a SNES Classic, and lots and lots and lots of people have a PlayStation Four. Oh, so yeah. this is a good opportunity for people who might have missed it for the first time. Uh, to pick up this kind of, well, I mean, let's be honest, fully realized remake mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. a classic RPG. And that's great. I'm not discounting the effort they're putting into it. I'm just, some games, I would be, honestly, I hope they never give this treatment to Final Fantasy VI. And maybe that's a controversial yeah. statement, but I don't want a Final Fantasy VI that looks like that. I'm, I like the current art style. 
If Final Fantasy VI in that cartoony, cutesy art style, that would be like, what the hell would you do at the end of the world? Yeah, mm-hmm. it's the end of the world. Welcome to my little Yay. pony village. Wow, look at cute <laughs> chibi uh, Celeste throwing herself off a cliff. <laughs> oh my god. I would, however, love a Final Fantasy VI in the style of uh, Final Fantasy IV Complete Collection. I would like it in the style of Project Octopath Traveler. Yes, yes. That Either too. that or just straight up Project or Final Fantasy VI HD with remastered sprites, mm. uh, remastered artwork that actually looks good. That doesn't look like the iPad version. <laughs> it doesn't like the iPad version. It just kind of took Vaseline and smeared it all over everything. Yeah. Yeah. Terrible. But anti-aliasing. Yep. Uh, so the Secret of Mana remake is coming next year. On uh, yeah, Play- February fifteenth. PlayStation Four, PlayStation Vita. As always, we will be covering it, and we'll also continue the Secret of Mana report. Not this week. <laughs> so i was supposed to be playing secret of mana with mom with my girlfriend on tuesday and i like went through the trouble of hooking up the snes because i've been moving the snes back and forth Mm, between the living room and my office uh because i've been streaming Mega Man x right and so there's this weird thing in my living room where when i plug it into the elgato in that room for some reason the music doesn't output oh that's weird and well, I gotta have the music when I'm yeah, playing Mega Man X. Yeah, you can't play SNES without music. That's illegal. Absolutely not. Uh, I think it has something to do with the fact that there's actually an HDMI kind of adapter thing for my mm. TV as opposed to straight up HDMI. And I think oh. that's messing with the Elgato's uh, audio output. Yeah, that could do it. But suffice it to say, like it's made streaming from out there pretty annoying actually. But So I've been moving the SNES back and forth. I, I've been playing Mega Man X in the office. Anyway... Mm-hmm. I go through the trouble of plugging my SNES into the living room and she's like on her phone, like doing some stuff. I'm like, I'm ready to play some secret of mana. She's like, okay, just one sec. And I'm like, okay. (laughs) And then I just start messing around. I'm playing super punch out. She's still on her phone. Then I go on to, and then I jump over to a link to the past and I'm like, ah, I'm just going to play some link to the past. And I get all the way through the first dungeon I finish the first dungeon. I look over and she's asleep. Yeah, <laughs> cohabitation. Yes, in a, in a single story. And then I went, <sighs> okay. And then I turned off my SNES Classic and turned on FIFA, and that was me for the rest of the night. <laughs> well, you, I'm sure you were kind of happy in your own way. Anyway, you got to play FIFA. I, I did. Uh, you want to talk about grinding? Uh, there's a <laughs> there's a game that's all about the grinding. Because mm. holy moly, I mean. Just, that literally all I do in that game is just play the computer over and over again because I'm trying to get up to a higher leaderboard standing so that I can cash in coins and get lots of cards. That's it. <laughs> I actually kind of wonder how FIFA sells in uh, North America versus like everywhere else. I know that like Asia and Europe, of course, it probably blitzes out the competition, but like America versus Canada versus like not to say Mexico because I'm sure it's really popular there. But I don't know. It sells. Uh... Well, FIFA 17 apparently sold about 1.23 million in North America. Wow. That's, uh, and like 50 billion in, uh, everywhere else. <laughs> 8.21 million in Europe. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds Now, right. this is from VG Charts, which oh, is not, iffy. which is not necessarily accurate. And also, this is as of September 2nd this year. Okay, so... Not last year, but right. yeah, this is VG Charts, which is not necessarily accurate, but 
FIFA 17, yeah, it still it sells very well around the world, but obviously not as much here. But it has done its share. It's done its part to kind of evangelize in this country. Yeah, I don't think my brother plays it. And he's all into like every sports game ever. Really? Oh God, oh, yeah. My brother is crazy about like NHL and especially NHL. I mean, in Canada, it's mm. all about NHL rather than like NFL, uh, Madden. But um, yeah, the only reason he actually plays Madden is because his American uh, boss like turned him onto it, so he plays the hell out of Madden. But I think he's the only one I know who does <laughs> in uh, Toronto. FIFA I'm sure there are others. FIFA, uh, sorry, NHL this year is good. But I think FIFA on the whole is the best kind of maybe sports game. Uh, this side, well, NBA 2K is, oh my God, I'm so sorry, everybody. I'm boring the hell out of you. This is an RPG <laughs> podcast. I'll, uh, I'll tell him to play FIFA. Yeah, tell him to play FIFA. Uh, it'll make him a soccer fan. But Oh, he's already a, he's a fan of soccer. He loves the Toronto FC. Oh, there you go. So you play FIFA. Toronto yeah. FC is in there. There you go. Yeah, perfect. Okay. So, Nadia, in addition to playing Secret of Mana, the remake, you also played some South Park. I and played a lot of South Park. So, I, I want to talk about one thing in particular. Mm-hmm. Maybe the most important thing. Let's talk about that Yaoi uh, subquest. <laughs> Yaoi subquest was adorable. Oh, my God. Also, it's weird <laughs> that you call it a subquest. It's a side quest. A side quest, yeah. I, I, I kind of interchange, and I guess they're... I guess both are correct, aren't they? Subquests. I mean, subquests. technically, yeah. It's kind of like mini boss, mid boss thing. Okay, so tell me about this this side quest. Like, how how does it? How do you access it? What's it all about? What is it? Uh, well, basically, it's based around. Uh, I had to look this up because I haven't seen the episode myself. But there's an episode in season 19 where uh, a girl from Japan comes to the school and starts uh, basically drawing uh, yaoi fan art of uh, Tweak and Craig. And uh, they're like, originally they're like just really aghast about this, but then they become a couple. Eventually, they kind of fall in love. Uh, and I, as, as I understand, uh, Trey Parker and Matt Stone actually had fans of the show draw uh, the this Yaoi fan art of the characters, and it's all it's all very manga animu authentic, for lack of a better word. So you have a yaoi quest in uh, South Park, the Fractured Butthole, which I understand the first game had a Chimpokemon quest that you would look for Chimpokemon. So this is that now. And basically when you meet Tweak's, not Tweak's father, uh, I think it's Craig's father, he's the one who asks you to look for this art. He calls himself a yaoi collector. Oh my god, that's so messed up. Yeah, it's South Park. (laughs) It's a very He wants yaoi fan art of his own son? Yes, apparently so. Uh, I will say that the yaoi, quote-unquote, is more shonen eye. It's very cuddly sort of stuff. It's not explicit for very obvious reasons. Thank God. Not to, say, not to say there aren't suggestive pictures, but most of it... Well, you saw some of the ones I put on the article that we wrote on the site. It's very, very, very cute. Very cuddly, sort of uh, chibi, big-eyed, like... It really it is way. adorable, yes. It really is adorable. When I first started the subquest, I'm like okay, I, I gotta get into this because the fan art was just too much. It was just too heart-meltingly cute. So you find these pictures literally everywhere. Like, you'll find them in people's houses. You'll find them in their drawers. You'll find them in, like, men's washrooms for some reason. Uh, and I, as you collect these pictures, you get in-game achievements. And I think I got to Enthusiast Yao Collector. Yaoi Collector. Uh, unfortunately, I couldn't 
get all the pieces because I ran out of time and to get all the pieces you have to kind of backtrack as you get more powers to access more of the town. Uh, but yeah, I put a link to a gallery on the on the article I wrote, so enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> good uh, good side quest or best side quest? I, it, it I would definitely say best best side quest. And of course, as you collect the stuff, you you keep it in a gallery. As you collect so, this stuff, you keep it in the gallery so you can admire Craig and Tweet. You, you can you can together. look back on it. Although I don't think it saves the names of the pictures, which are like kind of identifying who's the UK and who's the semi. And I I think Craig oh, is, a what and a what? <laughs> I might have mispronounced it, but one basically I think one is this a bottom and a top? E, more or less, yeah. One's a dominant, <laughs> one's a submissive. And, and I, guess I got Craig you. Haha! Ha, I got it right. Hey. <laughs> Congratulations. We're talking about this with, what, 10-year-old kids? But I think (laughs) my favorite one by far is the one of them doing the snow angels. That's adorable. That's really cute. I like the one that I chose for the the banner image, which is just them with a heart and, like, you know, these big, big eyes. Somebody in the comments, by the way, said, the whole podcast is going to be about this, isn't it? (laughs) Well, you were right. Not the entire podcast, but a good chunk of it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you just kind of have to talk about it. It's definitely one of the, the more engaging uh, side quests I, I've been in lately. So, so have you ever played Costume Quest? No, I haven't, but I've heard it's great. Yeah, it's all right. Uh, it's very simple. Mm-hmm. A lot of the charm in Costume Quest is rolling through the town with the, the humor, for sure, mm-hmm. and solving the puzzles and the battles are really kind of besides the point because they're not super in-depth. You're just kind of in it for the story. Right. Is that the same with South Park? Um, I would say yes and no. With South Park, uh, y- there are not really random encounters, but there are instances where kind of mooks come after you. And it's very easy to avoid them if you don't want to fight. Uh, but the... Um, the fights are definitely a big part of the game because the battle system is surprisingly in-depth. I was a little surprised at how how much nuance there was. Like, um, uh, basically, you have your the boys on your team and Wendy, if you use her. Uh, everyone has their their superpower because, of course, they're all superheroes. And some have like some specialize in long range attacks, the way Kyle does. Like his specialty is long range lasers and healing. Uh, Scott, who I used, is this little kid with diabetes, and he, he his whole thing is diabetic rage, and he's like basically the Hulk. Uh, he kind of glows into a glucomic shock and <laughs> uses his extra what? strength to, to to kick the shit out of people. It's kind of horrifying and adorable. Uh, so his attacks, for example, are all very close range, uh, whereas like Kyle's, again, are long distance, or you have sometimes like the characters can have attacks that go through cert- like a like a line of enemies, but they have to be positioned to be actually good. You know what I mean? Like the enemies have to be positioned in a way that makes it useful. So you have a it's definitely an element of of strategy mixed in with the uh, with the RPG mechanics. Um, I, I really enjoyed most of the fights, barring like a couple of instances where. Uh, you have like kind of a it turns into almost a real time strategy game because you have like timers that count down and then a massive attacks happens and even if you're in the middle of selecting something like a, an action or whatever it'll still count down so that was very stressful i feel like that was a little bit out of place didn't happen too often thankfully uh but overall i i actually found the, the battle system quite enjoyable and quite satisfying what about the progression how how in depth is the character customization it is pretty in depth because you 
basically you have uh, your superhero character can choose from a number of subclasses and those subclasses determine what your attacks are going to be and whether they're long more like long range or more like you know the short range powerful attacks you can actually customize uh to a, to a very surprising degree especially since a uh, minor spoiler at some point in the game you unlock every like character class and i think you can switch back and forth between them as you like it's not exactly we're not talking about like final fantasy 5 here but we are talking about quite a bit of customization i so we said in the previous podcast that probably unless you like south park you're not necessarily going to want to get into this game but is there enough for say a hardcore rpg fan to kind of want to take a nibble on I don't know. That's a very interesting question because I would say if you are just not into South Park at all, this is not a game hmm. that you're going to be interested in. Even if could it make like, you a South Park fan? It depends on your 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 tolerance of let's face it, very offensive humor. If you Poop are a jokes, twisted person, <laughs> is it, thankfully it goes beyond that. But if you are a kind of a person who with a twisted sense of humor and you've never played South Park, well, to be honest with you, now that I think about it, if you never if you're not into South Park at all. The, half the game is like references to old characters and old situations like you might not appreciate it very much mm. oh Even so it's, it's totally like fan servicey throwbacks to previous episodes more or less because to be honest like i haven't watched south park with any sort of regularity in 10 years but i still ha- didn't have a problem meeting most of the characters i knew who they were and anyone who i was kind of fuzzy on i just took a look at the the wiki for the show uh, but you have like most of the characters there are like references to like uh, earlier uh, seasons, like God, I mean, one of the biggest plot instances, plot uh, devices in the game involves uh, Doctor Mephisto and like his animals that all have four asses each. You, which is like some season one stuff right there. I do not remember that episode at all. You don't remember the four ass monkey? Here's nope, monkey not at all. Asses. The only things <laughs> I remember from season one are Mecha Streisand. Uh, I remember. The first episode where they get kidnapped by aliens and they were making uh, anal probe jokes. Oh, and the satellite comes out of Cartman's ass. Yeah, I remember that one. And I remember, wasn't there one where Mr. Mackey was going to become a was he was a sniper in the bell tower? Oh God, I don't I don't remember that one. If it was season one, I don't remember. I, oh yeah, and there's also the one where uh, Cartman dry, dresses up as a ghost, but he looks like a member of the KKK. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that was a Halloween episode. That was the first one I ever saw. God, my brother downloaded it. The first way I saw the show was my brother downloaded it from God knows where, and it was like on like a, basically like a 300 by 200 postage stamp video of this show of kids swearing at each other. And they had the uh, uh, the, the Christmas poo, I think, was in season one as well. Yeah, he's not in the game, I don't think. I didn't meet him anyway. And I think the season ends with the cliffhanger about who Cartman's mom is. Yeah, and, that, and then they d- pulled the April Fools by making the 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 reveal episode about uh, Terrence and Philip, which I thought was fantastic. I love that episode because I love the way to pick Canadians. Great trolling. It was it was pretty. It was some fantastic trolling. That was one of the earliest instances of just first rate trolling of fan bases, yep. which yep. I think Rick and Morty has picked up with aplomb. I mean, they haven't gone quite that far. Yeah, <laughs> but I would say the season finale of Rick and Morty was a great example of trolling. You should totally watch it. But I. Uh, so in, in terms of South Park, yeah, I, I, I don't think it's going to necessarily make anybody a fan, but it's nice to hear that the mechanics are a little deeper than uh, kind of let, a, let on. Yeah, 
Uh, I was a little surprised at how deep they are. Uh, maybe not deep enough for some people, but uh, good enough for a South Park game. A 20-hour game about South Park. <laughs> a 20-hour game about South Park. And that's the final word. If you want yeah. uh, some more discussion, like I said, I strongly recommend that you go ahead and pick up uh, uh, check, pick up the US Gamer Podcast where we also talk about it. Uh, yes. Talk about some of the story, talk about its relationship to the show and everything, and we go into that. Okay. Last game I want to talk about, Nadia. We're hitting a lot of games today. Yeah. Etrian Odyssey 5. Now, uh, you said that you haven't played Etrian Odyssey, so I'm going to sell you not. on Etrian Odyssey now, because I wrote an article on the site titled Etrian Odyssey 5 is the best hardcore RPG that you don't yeah. know about. Um, Etrian Odyssey has been around for a decade now. This has yes. been 10 years, which is kind of amazing if you think about it. And uh, you know the general gist of it, right? Yeah, it's basically like uh, mapping, dungeon crawling, uh, et cetera, et cetera. It, it's more than that. It's a throwback to the very earliest days of gaming. Mm-hmm. It, it harkens back to the old roguelikes, like I, I think Moria Angband, where wow. you start in a town and then you head into the labyrinth beneath the town right. and you just move down all the way until you hit the very bottom and kill the, the enemy at the bottom. Well, in the case of Etrian Odyssey, instead of going down, you're going up <laughs> because oh. you're climbing the world tree. Right. You're getting to Yggdrasil, and you are exploring, and you're basically trying to get to the top right. of the world tree. You're hitting, you're climbing up the various stratums. So you enter the first time, and you get this really nice kind of music, mm-hmm. very relaxing. It starts you off slowly, and then it gets progressively harder as you go up each floor. And right. a lot of Etrian Odyssey is, well, going step by step on a kind of first-person view of like wizardry. And yes. mapping out your progress using the 3DS touchscreen, which is very useful. You really need to do that so that you <laughs> know where items are and things like that. And so you know how to get to the shortcuts to get to different areas. But uh, a lot of the joy and a lot of the pleasure of Etrian Odyssey is mastering an individual floor mm-hmm. and going, yes, I did it. I know how to Cleaned beat this level. Floor. I cleaned up this house. <laughs> and this house you, is now clean. And then you move on up. So, so the other thing, and the other way in which it's a throwback is that you create your party of adventurers mm-hmm. from scratch. Right. And you can choose from a handful of uh, classes. And in turn, you can cl- choose from different portraits and everything. And one of the big key differences of Etrian Odyssey 5 is... You have the base classes like the samurai. Sorry, I know it's not samurai, but I can't pronounce whatever the heck it, the, the official term is in the game, which can become a blade dancer or a different kind of blade. Like there are one of two choices. Knife man, uh, knife man too. There's that. And then there are also unity powers, mm-hmm. which you can, all of the characters have unity gauges and some powers which are more powerful than others require up to x number of gauges like sometimes it's a double attack or sometimes it's resurrecting a character sometimes it's refilling mana whatever and so you want to use those in judicial moments when you absolutely need them right so those are kind of the main additions but otherwise it's very much 
in the foundation of the original game. You start at the bottom of the thing and you're trying to get to the top with the party <laughs> of adventures of your choice. And man, they've done this they've done this for many games now. Mm-hmm. Including Persona Q. Persona Q counts as well. Right. And it's obvious that they really know how to make these games and you want to talk about a game that is relaxing and enjoyable to play? I think Etrian Odyssey is it. Yeah, I actually really do want to give it a try because uh, it's kind of disgraceful that I call myself an RPG fan and I haven't played Etrian Odyssey, especially 5, which is supposed to be one of the best, actually. It's um, really hardcore. So I don't, I don't feel too bad. <laughs> no, but even though I am more of a story over systems person, it's not to say I don't enjoy a good satisfying rpg which it sounds like etrian odyssey gives you satisfaction in spades yeah it gives you it gives me satisfaction Mm -hmm. because i don't care about story (laughs) (laughs) in fact i find the story gets in the way i I was gonna ask you if there's a story at all not really i mean the the story the the extent of the story so far is the the castle wants people is opening up the maze to adventurers to explore guilds are welcome to apply create a guild you create adventures great welcome hello adventurers (laughs) go on in we'll give you some tests to make sure that you're ready you are perfect okay well now you got to undergo the test to open the way into the rest of the labyrinth you did it hooray keep going (laughs) (laughs) hope you have insurance uh if you want a story play etrian odyssey untold but no i'd start with five personally my favorite games are the ones where I create my own story in my head. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Using that's the power of imagination. <laughs> that SpongeBob gif, imagination with the rainbow. Well, I, well, I'm thinking more of a reference to South Park since South Park is a thing in this episode. Imagination. Oh, right. That was a great episode because he had, like, yeah, had all the, the characters in the background. I like imagination that. land. And they just keep doing it for hours upon hours. That was, that was a great episode. That was a, what was it, a three-part episode? That was a three-parter. That was a, that's a lot of. It got a little old after a while, but it was pretty remarkable. It had Totoro, which was nice. It had everybody. It had everyone. <laughs> I liked their vision of the uh, the Hellgates, and I especially oh, yeah. loved that Cartman's murder squirrels, the murder animals. Oh, God, they're in the game, by the way. Are they? Are they bosses? Oh, they're bosses, all right. <laughs> Are they hard? They're hard. <laughs> I totally bet. Don't they, like, shoot lasers from their eyes or something? What don't they do is more of the question. And they, they have these little high-pitched voices like, this is for Satan. Like, it's ridiculous. It's amazing. Yes, they're doing the high, high-pitched, hail Satan. Yeah. And that kind of totally. thing. But uh, I, I, I totally digress. Um, I use my imagination. I am at my absolute happiest when I'm creating my own headcanon for a particular mm-hmm. characters. That's why I'm, like, sitting here playing sports games. Because I'm like, <laughs> and now my team... Uh, it's just stats i'm just playing <laughs> a sequence like a of, of games like, yeah but i'm like i have like... improved my roster i have brought this person in and he is the new heart and soul of my team and i hope that he's really meshing with uh javier hernandez and mikhail antonio <laughs> they're gonna have a wonderful little group but pablo zavaleta is totally on the outs hmm and it's just i'm creating the story in my head Okay. That's actually the reason why, uh, when I was younger, I really, really loved Master of Orion, uh, because I, I didn't actually write fanfic for it, but I would come up with my own in my head, like, I'm the Sakura Empire, I'm like totally dominating the, the universe, everyone bows to me, ha ha Yeah, uh, it's the same with civilization. Yeah. Humans are conditioned to recognize patterns. 
in everything. It's what we do because Mm -hmm. we are looking for emotional responses and faces and that kind of thing. So we are conditioned to look for patterns, which is why we see Jesus's face in a tortilla sometimes. (laughs) And, uh, and one side effect of that is that we just, we want to create narratives. Yeah. We want to create narratives where there are no narratives necessarily. I used to, uh, yeah, I was actually just uh, writing on Twitter about how uh, I there was a scene in a Super Mario cartoon where Mario and Luigi were fighting, and I based all fanfic around that. <laughs> so in Etrian Odyssey, I have my five adventurers. I have a dragoon, I have a necromancer, I have a herbalist, kind of a nerdy little herbalist that I called Rick. Uh, <laughs> I have uh, a pugilist, a pugilist lady who's kind of a kind of a badass kind of gym ninja girl. And I have a, God, what is she? Oh, the samurai. And uh, each one of them, you know, look, they have their very distinctive portraits and you can change the hair and the look and you can change from, choose from one of five different kind of looks for them. And the art is so distinct and so detailed that I just can't help but kind of assign personality traits to them, especially based on the name. So I'm kind of going, I I love my necromancer. She... Reminds me of a character from Space Battleship Yamato, actually. So in Yamato, oh, that sounds really familiar. In Yamato twenty one ninety nine, uh, the main villain has a. There are these two. He has a sorceress sidekick. Mm-hmm. She well, she's like her his subordinate, like his immediate subordinate, and she's psychic, and she can like totally mess with your mind and that kind of thing. And her backstory is that he found them somewhere. Like he, they had conquered some planet and they found these two orphan girls who are sisters and they are like the last of their race. And he takes mm-hmm. them into his fold and raises them up to be terrifying witches in his care. But anyway, the necrom- one of the necromancers looked just like her. So that's <laughs> what I named her. And uh, she's very emo, very goth. I like it. Mm. So... <laughs> Yeah, I'm definitely wanting to give it a try once I'm. Uh, I have other games to clear off first, but it is. It has been on like, kind of the edge of my vision for a while now. I also did a thing that. I did the thing, Nadia. <laughs> the thing being, I googled what is the most broken class. Oh, because sure I was just because an initially you have a whole bunch of classes to choose from, right? And so I'm going, oh God, I, what are the good combos? Because. If you don't have good synergy going on with your party, you'll get rolled pretty fast. If you just try to brute force com- encounters, you'll get destroyed. So I was just like, oh, well, okay, well, I'm going to use basic RPG sense here. I definitely want a tank, definitely want a healer. Uh, I don't know like how I can get really good damage output and that kind of thing. And I checked on the internet and apparently Blade Dancer and necromancer is a pretty broken combo uh (laughs) using poison gas and that kind of thing so i was like okay whatever i'll do that so i put a samurai in my party i got a necromancer and the necromancer is awesome because the necromancer can summon wraiths that will be at the front of your party and they persist from battle to battle right so as soon as you enter the labyrinth just summon a couple wraiths you got your wraiths for a while and if you finagle things properly the race will just keep spawning automatically sometimes yeah. and you sacrifice the race to do various things uh to launch basically super powerful party-based attacks on enemies mm-hmm. you can firebomb them you can poison them and they lose tons of health from that 
Uh, you can have perfect defense for a turn by sacrificing one of your rays. Yeah, they're very useful. And that the best part perfect. of them is they take damage for you. Yeah, I was about to say. So they sound almost like that fake hit you get on Mimikyu. They're really. almost they're almost too good. Yeah, I was about to say. At least they early. Should... At least early on. And then you have oh. a in combination with a Dragoon. Because mm-hmm. the Dragoon can put up a bunker, a decoy bunker. Right. At the top of your party. And then use Dragon's Roar ability to take attacks. Mm-hmm. And if you pump up that decoy bunker a bunch, enemies will only attack the race or the bunker and won't attack you. <laughs> And, and if they do attack you, you, you got your herbalist to do really good burst ha- healing. Right. And then from that point, it's just up to the pugilist and the uh, the samurai to kick the crap out of them. That's funny. And you could just poison them if you want to them, kill them really fast. <laughs> and, and if you are really in a hurry, uh, you can use the herbalist toxic cloud to make enemies more susceptible to poison. And then use the poison cloud from the wraith and poison everybody and it's great. So, Jeez, have you finished the game yet? No, I'm still on the first stratum, but I'm like on the third floor. Wow. The only thing with this game that I will say is I always get bored in the second stratum. <laughs> That's the only thing. Like I have a great time in the first stratum, mm-hmm. and then I get to the second stratum, and I walk out into the next stratum, and I immediately get exhausted. Mm-hmm. Like I go, oh, I have to do all of this again? I have to draw the map from scratch. Oh my god, that feels so overwhelming. Uh, I think a lot there's there's a certain type of gamer who feels invigorated. Yeah. By going, oh man, a whole new world to explore. And to and to be fair, that was kind of me in Dragon Age Inquisition, mm-hmm. where I would step into a narrow, new area and be like, oh man, cool, a whole new area to explore. But Etrian Odyssey is a lot more exhaustive than Dragon Age Inquisition. In Dragon Age yeah. Inquisition, it's, I'm riding around, and I'm enjoying this incredible scenery, and I'm on my battle moose, and this is great. <laughs> what side quests am I going to find? What interesting things am I going to fight? I think Dragon Age Inquisition is uh, underrated. Fight me. but <laughs> I'm sure people will. Etrian Odyssey 5, I am walking... You ha- you're basically going tile by tile, mm-hmm. very deliberately, slowly but surely f- sketching in your map. And it's right. an obsessive-compulsive dream. Of course. But it's exhausting. Yeah. So, That's understandable. I, I love that game. I really want to finish it. I want to play it for as much as possible. And maybe I'll get further now that I have my own party, or that I have a party that I like. But... I also managed to have a party I liked in Persona Q, and I like that game a lot because Mm -hmm. it's freaking Persona. It has great music. It has more of a story. Uh, It has set characters. I just, I really enjoyed playing that game, and I got exhausted with the second stratum in that game. Yeah. So if I, am I going to get, if I get exhausted with a second stratum in a Persona game, I don't know what I can say about (laughs) it, to be honest. So I'm really hoping this isn't the case with EO5. I'm hoping that I can finally power through, but I always... Good mm. luck. So that's my caveat. That's my caveat right there. It's a fair one. Uh, I'll check out on you. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, for a certain type of RPG fan, I think it's amazing because you're creating your own story. It's very crunchy. It's a very crunchy series. Mm-hmm. Very demanding, and it has a great loop of you go into the fortress forest you you kill lots of enemies you explore as much as possible you get lots of treasure you come back to town you sell everything you power up your characters feels great back in yeah you head I back like in that loop. i love that loop it's a great loop 
And it's a loop that harkens all the way back to the dawn of gaming, as I said, yeah. with those old roguelikes. So, and it can be a very unforgiving game, and it requires a lot of strategy sense. There's, it's no, it's no wonder that it has such a diehard fandom, including Jeremy mm-hmm. Parrish. So, yeah, no kidding. Which, by the way, you should go read his review over on Polygon because he, uh, if anybody, in, I would say he is the foremost expert on he really is. not he is the, first, the press. And the maybe I'll have him on voice. the show next week so that we can talk about it. But oh, that'd be nice. All right, Etrian Odyssey 5, now out on the Nintendo 3DS. Uh, Another kind of swan song for the series, uh, for the RPG genre on a really amazing RPG system. Yeah. Uh, We'll have to talk a little bit later about just, man, if this is the last year of the 3DS, what a run. What a run. It really is, yeah. Like, I am looking forward to more on the Switch, but I am kind of sad too because the 3ds it was probably my go-to uh, rpg machine other than the vita maybe we should at some point do a which system not named the snes is the best rpg system of all time i agree i definitely want to do that right okay away. we'll do that all right but we will wrap up this episode with final fantasy 9 report so don't go away All right, Nadia, this is Final Fantasy Report 9 Report number 5. And it sounds like you made quite a bit of progress since we last talked into Disc 2. So walk me through what's happened in the story of Final Fantasy 9. Well, when we last left off, I think that's when uh, we first met Kuja and he had leveled Bermesia. Jerk. (laughs) What a dork. Anyway, um... So then my far- my party went to Clara, I think it's called. It's the giant tree town where uh, uh, basically uh, Freya's people live. They're, they're rat people, Remetians. Um, then the uh, Empire, or Alexandria, flattened that tree, which was too bad because it was a nice tree. Um, and then I... I'm trying to remember what happened directly after that, but the, the gist of it is um, I went back to uh, Lindblom, uh, actually, first, I, uh, with Garnet, I met Ramu, and I learned how to uh, summon uh, Eidolons, because I actually had Eidolons in me, but the queen, when she captured me, she extracted them from it, and uh, basically, uh, Garnet was rescued by uh, Zidane, and uh, now they're on their way to... Uh, they went to Lindblom, which got blown up. Like, basically, uh, the queen is on their tail, blowing everything up as she goes, uh, and now they're on their way to uh, the continent without mist, which is supposedly north of the mist continent. And yeah, that's that's where I'm going right now. I mean, you... That was a very succinct summary of a lot of things that have happened. <laughs> so what's going on in the story? Can you kind of like highlight some of the important goings-on in the narratives? Uh, basically, as far as I can tell, the queen is kind of deranged, uh... She supposedly went deranged after she met Kuja, which was like a, a couple of years ago in the in the story uh, canon. Uh, Kuja is supposedly a weapons dealer from parts unknown. Uh, the queen has been uh, basically blowing up kingdoms for... I don't think it's very clear yet, but I do know that she is after certain gems. Uh, and she got one from the uh, Burmesians. 
I think she got one from Lynn Bloom as well. Uh, like I said, she extracted the Eidolans from Garnet without like any sort of regard for killing Garnet. In fact, she planned to execute Garnet for running away in the first place, but Garnet was rescued. Um, yeah, so my directive now is to to find what the hell is going on with Kuja, but there's there's been a lot of destruction in, in her wake. The gem thing reminds me a little bit of Goblez going out and getting the crystals. Yeah, uh, there's definitely a lot of, like, I've noticed a lot of reflections from Final Fantasy IV in this game. Like, for example, in Clayra, there is the antlion, which looks a lot like the Final Fantasy IV antlion, and if you hit it with physical attacks, it will counterattack and cream you, probably. So you gotta go after it with magic. Yeah, very direct reference to Final Fantasy IV. Yeah, and they even say the, the, they even say the antlions are so tame, what's going on here? There are a ton of references in Final Fantasy IX, um, and I don't want to, I I don't want to spoil anything, so it's a little hard. But mm-hmm. uh, naming way makes an appearance in this game. <laughs> Does he really? Mm-hmm. That's adorable. Uh, Sid's last name is Fabul. Yeah, that, that I noticed. I think they spell it a little differently, but it's that I, I noticed the Fabul. It's spelled F A B O O L. As yeah. opposed to F-A-B-U-L and F-F-4. Yeah. So I thought that was very interesting. Upon arriving in Limblum for the first time, if the player reaches the area Steiner was just in during the active time event, they will find a sign toward the northwest part of the area called Pollum's Action Figures. <laughs> and that's a little the little like runt from uh, 4 who was the... Was he the jerk wizard or was he the nice wizard? Uh, Pallum? Pallum was the Pallum. joke. Porum was the nice one. Okay, Porum was nice. I actually yes. liked them in the after years. They were kind of interesting, believe it or not. I liked Palom and Porum. They were fun. And yeah. their heroic sacrifice was real sad until, you know, it wasn't a heroic sacrifice Which, anymore. Which, again, is kind of echoed in uh, 9 with, uh, I think, Blank is his name. He turns to stone. Mm. And they can't find, they don't, basically items don't work on him until they have to find, like, a very specific kind of item. But it's the same idea where he, he sacrificed himself to stop the, uh, the oncoming forest from engulfing them, basically. One of Freya's ultimate weapons is Kane's Lance. Is that what it's actually called? Like Kane's Lance? Or is the. Yeah, it's called Kane's Lance. It's literally called that. his name on it? Yep. He wrote his name on it in case he loses it and his, his mom wrote it there. <laughs> uh, Vivi uses the fire spell to melt ice in Ice Cavern. This is reminiscent of the ice blockade oh, right. in Mount Hobbs, which Rydia yeah, melted right. with fire. Uh, Clara, which you went to for the first time, is called City of Illusions. The title of the music that plays in Fey March and FF4 is called City of Illusions. Oh, okay. I didn't even know that. Uh, there's an ant line that used yep. to be docile, but attacks Prince Edward. Uh, in FF9, an ant line that was known to be docile attacks a member of royalty, Prince Puck. Oh, it's the That's rat. Right, pre- right the Puck rat from of- the beginning of the game. Yeah, and uh, Vivi, it's kind of sad. It's like, Vivi's like, that's my first friend. I was like, no, he he, he, made, he made you a slave. What are you talking about? He was about? not your friend, Vivi. <laughs> oh, Vivi. Ah, uh, jeez. Uh, one of the card characters in the Trino Tetra Master tournament is called Gilbert, which is Edwards's Japanese name. Yeah. The Red Rose resembles the Red Wings airships. Both are owned by the First Kingdom's nations revealed to the game, uh, Alexandria and Baron. When I, when I heard, like, Red Rose, I thought of the T. Beatrix of Alexandria and Cecil of Baron share similarities in many ways. Both command their country's elite forces and are feared by many. Mm-hmm. Both were devoted to their monarch and carried out questions without question, uh, orders without question, until a point. Mm-hmm. Both are paladins. 
Oh, is she a paladin? Yes. Oh, okay. As a general of Alexandria, Beatrix writes a red rose whose design and name resembles the red wings, which was under Cecil's command. Mm-hmm. And then Alexandria resembles Baron in many ways. Both are the first nations revealed in the game. Both rulers, mm-hmm. once peaceful, turned to power hunger and became aggressive. Mm-hmm. Both rulers adopted orphans and treated them as their own. Both adopted children would be their successors. Oh, I didn't know that Garnet was a... Uh... Well, I guess it makes a lot of sense, actually. Yeah, no, she was totally adopted. I mean, okay, yeah. it, like, it makes it pretty clear in the game that she was adopted. Yeah. Uh, Zidane and Kuja's origin and relationship mirrors Cecil and Golbez's. Yeah, I can kind of see that coming, so don't worry about that. In Alexandria, in front of the weapons and sisters shops, there is a set of statues of three women. One is tall, one is fat, one is short. This alludes to the Magus sisters. Oh, yeah, them. FF4 introduced the concept of flying chocobos that can only land in forests. This is also used in FF9, which, by the way, have you done uh, Chocobo Hot and Cold? I have done Chocobo Hot and Cold. I have spent a lot of time on Chocobo Hot and Cold. Okay, we'll talk about that in a second. Yeah. A second battle of the Leafa Tree mar- mirrors the Battle of the Giant of Babel. Mm-hmm. And Eco rep- resembles Rydia in many ways. Or Eiko, sorry. Both were... Have you met Eiko? No, I haven't. Okay, then I'm not going to say anything more. Okay. But... As you can see, there are a ton of FF4 references in FF9, and I and didn't even read kind of them are. all. <laughs> there are an insane number of references in this game. The Wikipedia page is like a mile freaking long. <laughs> it's pretty remarkable. And also, Final Fantasy Tactics references as well. There's basically Final Fantasy everything references in this game. I mean, we talked about the, re- the ways that Beatrix reminds us of Celeste and like in the previous show. FF10 gets referenced in this. FF9 is the first game in the series to make an allusion to a future Final Fantasy game. The card Ragtime Mouse is holding has a message presented on the face of the card most players will never see. The text is in Japanese and reads, it's a true or false quiz. FF10's theme is guts, true or false. (laughs) Wow, I've met the Ragtime Mouse once, but I didn't get that question. Yeah. All right, let's talk about Chocobo Hot and Cold. So, yes. Chocobo Hot and Cold is a subquest. It's a rather famous subquest. Can you talk a little bit about it, Nadia? Well, basically, when you find the Chocobo Forest uh, on the first continent, the Mist Continent, uh, you meet Choco, who can basically you can play a, a hot or cold game with him, where he digs in the ground under with a, a certain time limit, and if he gets closer to treasure, he like gets more excited about this treasure, and if you find it. If you hit it with his beak, he can dig for it. And uh, this all has to be done within, like, I think it's a minute. And uh, he can also find, uh, basically, maps to better treasure outside in the on the world map. And I, I've done a couple of those. Uh, a f- <laughs> funny thing about Chocobo Hot and Cold with the PlayStation, edi- PlayStation 4 edition is you can put the game on, like, fast forward. And the timer still counts down at the normal rate. But you're just going crazy all over the map, like, looking for uh, treasure at twice the normal speed so that's uh, that's pretty interesting although there's a certain amount of precision that's required and if you have the game on fast you can't really get that precision so it's you don't really win are you liking it yeah for the most part although sometimes i swear like i'm right on top of something and it has to be like pixel perfect and i find that a little bit infuriating <laughs> it can be a little bit right yeah i think it's great the music is great and the chocobo is of course adorable yeah. Because chocobos, right? Quack. Yeah. <laughs> I found it kind of exhausting when I played it. 
Yeah, I kind of like get really into it for a few sessions, and I'm like, oh, you know what? Screw this. I'm wasting my time and money, and then I come back. Mm. Well, you uh, you definitely want to do it, though. You find some good stuff. Like the, the maps that I've uncovered have led me to some really valuable stuff, so I don't want to like not do it. It's worth it if you put up with the hassle. It's absolutely worth it, and I won't say what you get if you reach the top of what you're supposed to do, but mm-hmm. it's basically if you want to get some of the best stuff in the game you definitely yeah, want surprised. to you definitely want to do the chocobo hot and cold game is there only one chocobo forest in the game or is there there's probably a bunch scattered across right there's a whole bunch i believe yeah so yeah so yeah it's an interesting game and uh did you ever did you ever raise the golden chocobo in final fantasy 7 Oh God! Did I ever? When it, when I switched out to the third CD in Final Fantasy VII, uh, I realized like, hey, this game is more or less over. They want me to go down and beat Sephiroth. Like, no. <laughs> so I backtracked, and I bred the hell out of Chocobos for ten hours, and I raced them, and I got my gold Chocobo. Do 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 do. Racing them on the gold saucer, pretty fun. That was pretty fun. I really hope they they tackle it well in the remake. I am looking forward to that. Oh boy, mm-hmm. Chocobo races. I remember I never raised a golden chocobo. Well, it, or, it is very, very time yeah. intensive. You it's can very, also- yeah, it's a time intensive, and I didn't, I never really quite understood the process. Yeah, I, I think I had to look up a walkthrough because it's a little. You have the chocobo sage who will tell you what to do, but the bad translation, and he's also supposed to be like adult-minded, which doesn't help. You, he won't tell you anything useful. Is what I'm saying. Also, I didn't really care to get the. Um, I didn't really care to get the knights of the round. Yeah, it's a. It, you don't need it. I mean, there's so many other non-elemental summons that will destroy things, like Bahamut Zero, for example. That's mm-hmm. all you need. All you need is Bahamut Zero, and he's not too hard to get. No, he's definitely not. I was. So cool. I was much happier to get Omni Slash. Omni Slash was really helpful. Uh, that's actually another uh, link between the games uh, Final Fantasy VII and Final Fantasy IX. Uh, Beatrix has the Klim Hazard uh, uh, limit break. Mm. Not that it's a limit break, but it's a skill. From seven. Yeah, from 7, sorry. Clim Hazard is in from Final Fantasy 7, yes. So, uh, as for Chocobo Hot and Cold, I think that it's one of those games that is really great for people who are super OCD and has to get everything. You really have to get Pixel Perfect, and that kind of pisses me off. <laughs> and, like, I'm, I swear to God, it's like the Chocobo is right on top of something, and then you do it just a slight bit to the right, and it starts all over again. It's ridiculous. And then the counter goes to zero, and then I get angry. So another thing that I want to observe really quickly, uh, there's a really great cutscene of Atomos destroying, uh, was it Lin, or at least de- badly damaging Lindblom. Yeah, uh, Lindblom is, uh, I think the castle is mostly spared, but the town has been like destroyed for the most part. So Atomos yeah. was a an enemy, like a boss in Final Fantasy V, and yeah. notoriously one of the hardest bosses in that game. Because it could kill, it would. What it would do is bombard a character with common until they died, and then it would proceed to suck them in. And if it successfully sucked them in, it would remove them from the battlefield. Yes. So, it is actually quite difficult <laughs> to yeah. uh, keep your party alive. Uh, honestly, your best solution is probably to leave them dead for a while (laughs) and let them get sucked in and then try to revive them before they get drawn all the way in. But that's not always a given that you're going to be able to do that. Uh, it's not an easy boss. And in fact, it was a summon later. Can you imagine, like, 
sorry, just could you imagine like you're being sucked slowly towards this horrible gaping maw of like like sent you to another dimension and you get revived just as you're about to cross the threshold. Like, holy shit, what the F is that? Just as you're about to get sucked in. It's like Star Trek's Guardian of Forever from hell. (laughs) (laughs) It was a summon in later games. Uh, The design is really striking just because it looks like a giant mouth and or a giant portal to hell. And it's kind of freaky, to be perfectly honest. And watching this beautiful and brilliantly realized cutscene where it's sucking everybody into the vortex is really mm-hmm. terrifying yeah i was like i didn't know it was atmos until i talked to you about it and i was like what the hell is that thing it's kind of like it almost reminds me a little bit of the nightmare from uh uh, uh metroid fusion like it has that kind of like eyeless gaze to it yeah doesn't it Ugh. yeah it's it's good in other uh Another thing I want to point out, I mean, I've already extolled the virtues of the cutscenes so many times, but I also want to point out, man, the backgrounds and the the, the towns in this game, so gorgeous, uh, so really striking. I, I really kind of wish we could get, like, HD remakes, like, realizations of those, like, towns, and I know it would take a great deal of work and time and money that Square probably doesn't want to invest, but it would look fantastic. Yeah, uh, on Nintendo Switch, port baggy! Yay! Uh, What's your party looking like? Uh, Honestly, I have not had a chance to choose my party. So far, I've been kind of shuffled in between characters. Like, right now, I think going to the new continent, I have uh, Garnet, uh, Zidane. I just found um, uh, Kina, Quina, after uh, she got kind of left behind for a little bit, and Vivi. So you went out. So uh, how are you feeling about your party? It's feeling relatively strong. Or how are you liking Quinna? <laughs> Quinna's pretty great because I've been kind of... I cheated a little bit and looked up what kind of blue magic I could learn and from whom. So I got her to learn Big Guard and uh, White Wind, which are both really valuable spells, especially when early in the game when you're tossed between parties and you don't have a dedicated healer for a long time. It's really good to have. So I'd probably keep her. Uh, I love Vivi. He's so cute. But no, you know what? I... I'm so I'm so torn because I need a healer. I'm very paranoid about not having a healer. But Garnet's kind of useless otherwise so far. Mm. So I don't know. I don't mm. like having two mages in my party, put it that way. I'm very... I don't want to say I'm anti-mage, but I'm anti-mage. <laughs> I find it interesting that Garnet is hardly ever in your party. Yeah, like in the game. Like so hardly ever party. with you. Like she's yeah. often elsewhere. <laughs> Yeah, she is. Like, I just rescued her from her mother, and so my character at level 20, and she's at level 11. I'm like, oh, well, Oh, okay. wonderful. Well, she'll level up relatively quickly, right? Yeah, yeah. And she does have some very good buffs and debuffs. Like, she, I, I do like how you can learn spells through accessories in this game, uh, because what you do is basically you equip them, and as you equip items, you have use of their accessories, uh, of, sorry, of their skills, so long as you can support them. And if you keep them equipped, you can learn the skill permanently, which I think is kind of neat because it keeps you from just like abandoning all your old stuff as soon as you get new stuff. Uh, so she can learn some some handy stuff, like I've got her to learn protect and shell. But then again, I have like Quina and like Big Guard. <laughs> what else do I need? I found Garnet pretty unremarkable back when I played Final Fantasy IX for the first time. But yeah. in hindsight, she's actually one of my favorite heroines in the series. Mm-hmm. I like her as a character. She She's kind of neat. And I mentioned this in my last report, my written report, rather. 
Uh, I like the fact that you have that usual cliche where the, the hero tells the girl, oh, you can't come, it's too dangerous, blah, 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 the usual. And usually in that case, like, the heroine finds a way to sneak into the party anyway, but she doesn't do that. She drugs everyone, yes, and she takes, but she takes off. She does her own thing. She doesn't want to be with, like, uh, Zidane and the rest. She's, she's you know, kind of irritated. She wants to go her own way and find out what's going on her own way. And she does. And I, I thought that was really nice. <laughs> yes. So, any final observations as you continue on your way through Final Fantasy IX? Ahead on your way? Ahead on my way. Uh, yeah, I'm really enjoying it. I mean, I've made quite a bit of progress for like in between our, our sessions, and that's even though I had to spend like hours on South Park. So, yeah, I'm I'm really enjoying it. I don't know where it will rank in my favorites once I'm sorry, where it will rank amongst uh, my favorite Final Fantasies once I'm done. But I think it'll be up there somewhere. Favorite thing about it so far? Oh, maybe the music. The music's really great. Really? Yeah, I, I love the music. Least favorite thing so far? It's slow, man. <laughs> Those battles are so The battles are real slow? Yeah, and again, you have the fast-forward feature, but with fast-forward, your uh, choices are real slow or breakneck speed. Give me something in between, Square. I really like the art. I really like the art. I like the the environments. Uh, I like the enemy designs very much. Uh, I still think the characters look a little weird, like how they have big ass hands and big ass heads, and uh, they are they are bodies. a little weirder than that in that regard. Yeah, yeah. But otherwise, I do like the character designs a lot, especially the Burmesians. Yes, I like I like rats. I'm sorry. You love rat people, I guess. I really like rat people. Like I said in my written report, like I was always a I didn't watch Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles as a kid, but I liked Splinter. I like heroic rats. You don't get heroic rats very often, especially when you grow up reading Redwall. <laughs> All right. We'll continue on with our Final Fantasy IX report next week, and maybe we'll include our Secret of Mana report then. Until then, let's continue on to the reader comments, Nadia. Mm-hmm. All right, Nadia, as usual, we had people who were commenting on our Secret of Mana report. Uh, here's Drac Malleus says, I am also playing Secret of Mana for the first time. Time has not been kind to that game. It's a Aww. lot of fun, but that UI is very clunky. It's understandable that they are going to do a full remake rather than just a port. It needs a little spit shine, in my opinion, as long as they don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. I I mean, I was talking about in the in the podcast. I was having a hard time finding... Mm-hmm how I was equipping my characters. It took me a little bit. It, it's a little yeah. awkward. It's a li- it's not very intuitive, uh, especially since to equip your main character, you press Y, and to press to equip everyone else, you press X. It is a little weird. Flipsider says, I really think Secret of Mana holds up extremely well. The graphics still look beautiful. The music's still top-notch. The story is simplistic, but it's almost refreshing in how it lets you get right into the game without too much preamble or distraction, especially mm-hmm. as opposed to modern games. The gameplay still feels real good, with charging up the weapons being real fun. I'd still put it near the top of games like it, even including modern games. Yep, still one of my favorites. Rider Kicker says, I was listening to the Retronauts episode today, and Secret of Mono is supposed to be for the Nintendo SNES-PlayStation combo. Mm-hmm. I did not know that. But the system oh, I think was... we talked about that. Oh, it's, it's, this, this must be a famous thing. A famous piece of trivia that I do not know. <laughs> the system yeah, I was... actually... Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you there. Go for it. I was going to say I wrote something recent, not not very recently, but at some point where um, talking about how yeah it was supposed to be for the PlayStation, the Nintendo PlayStation, as we call that, still sounds weird to me. 
and um, I always thought in my mind I always wanted to play the quote-unquote complete version, but going, I went back and I looked at the history of the game's development and how how much it changed in between its conception as a CD game and what it became on the cartridge, and I realized, well, if I did play a complete version of the game, it wouldn't be anything like I wanted, because, I mean, the game started as Final Fantasy IV, and then it what they took, what they didn't have, they, like what they couldn't fit, they or what they didn't use, they used in Chrono Trigger. It, it kind of got scattered in between the three games. I played some of the Secret of Mana remake during NYCC. This is Rider Kicker still. I hope Nadia did too. I mean, she just did. We talked about it. Yay! And for once, I managed to beat the first boss without taking a hit since the 3D landscape made walking around much easier. I can't believe this is such a roundabout way to stop Westerners from playing Legend of the Holy Sword 3, so that collection better come over chop chop. <laughs> yes cool that you beat the dragon of the grotto i didn't bother though it should have been easier than grinding on disc two you can fight it again if you buy some reflect rings nuclear vomit says i can't get that secret of drum mana dwarf music out of my head somehow i'm starting to like it mental defense mechanism <laughs> question mark i'd say more stockholm syndrome and uh Lambis has a comment on our unwinnable encounters discussion uh, they say, I have one comment in regards to that. Use of expendables in such encounters need to be restricted so you don't burn through them all in a Sisyphean effort to win the battle <laughs> and then has nothing true. left for the rest of the game. I had this experience playing the Lunar remake on the PSP and it wouldn't have been such a big deal but for the fact that many of the expendables I used weren't the ones you could easily replace. They mm, weren't on sales in shops, only found in dungeon chests. It's okay you to have unwinnable encounters, but you need to have some sort of plot device. You can't access your satchel, for example. So we don't use our best items for nothing. Yeah, it would suck to use a Megalixer. Oh, can you imagine? Oh my god, that would be terrible. Uh, that's why I kind of like the... If you're going to give me a you-have-to-lose encounter, give me one where the the boss just uses like a one-hit party-wiping-out thing. Like, you know, don't play with me. Uh, Michael Salazar says that Final Fantasy IX is his favorite in the series. Everything about it is great, from the art, the music, the lightheartedness of it all. I like the darker stories of FF7 and 8, but I think FF9 did such a great job. Oh, and they also say that they want to address what Zidane looks like. He thinks he looks like David Bowie's character in The Labyrinth. I do not see that. <laughs> you don't think so? I could see it. Kind of, uh, I mean, I the, the long hair and the very distinct uh, facial structure. It looks kind of like David Bowie. Are you talking about Kuja? I would say, okay, no, Kuja no. kind of does. No, no, Zidane. I do not see that at all. But I guess because, like, the, to me, the Goblin King is so, like, tall and lithe. And, well, he has that huge ass bulge in his pants. And I don't think Zidane does. I didn't look very closely. <laughs> David Bowie confused me when I was a child. Probably. I think David Bowie confused a lot of girls. <laughs> I was like, boys too. that's a boy? David Bowie is so pretty. <laughs> he was he was totally the first like the shonen character we were exposed to. Yes, yes, I was just I could not believe that David Bowie was a boy when I was like 8 8 years old or whatever. When I saw Labyrinth for the first time. There is probably a really good reason why Yoshitaka Amano has drawn <laughs> so much Bowie fan art. Probably. Probably. Um, final question. This is from Namar Boudoir, who um, uses a Hotmail account. Sorry, I don't want to make fun of you. But uh, <laughs> and Naman is from Edinburgh, which is a beautiful city, I might add. Uh, great castle. Uh, very cool kind of medieval town. I love it. Oh, neat. That's cool. 
I'm done bragging. Okay. Uh, so I was listening to your Secret of Mana report, having just played the opening couple hours of the game, and I was somewhat confused when Kat started relaying her story about playing, taking down werewolves to save Prim. You see, for me, none of this happened. My character got captured by goblins and was then saved by Prim, only to meet later in the castle and have her instantly join my party. Having never played the game before, I thought this was a natural sequence of events, but after doing some research, it seems that I stumbled into a pretty hard-to-accomplish secret route that let me get Prim early. So my question is, do either of you have RPGs, or games generally, where you went down a certain route not realizing that it wasn't the intended path? Well, we talked a little bit about this outside of the show, Nadia, and Mm -hmm. the short answer is not really, but I will say that I have a real problem with uh, missing missable characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of that is because I am not that thorough when I'm playing RPGs. I have a tendency to, rather than looking at every possible angle, just barging ahead. I miss so many characters in Fallout New Vegas. Yeah, yeah. It'd probably be a lot easier with Western RPGs to miss stuff, but uh, with JRPGs, uh, it's a little more linear. But I have, you know what? Shikana Mana is a really good example of sequence breaking because there is actually a way to meet uh, Prim's fiance uh, before you do you go to the Water Palace. Like it's a secret, really hard to get scene that. Um, it is complete and it's realized and you actually learn some interesting background about the character and her father but when you access it it does something to the game's AI and the whenever uh, Prim's father tries to talk about his daughter he doesn't have a name for her so he just calls her go 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 it's like a placeholder <laughs> line of gibberish <laughs> that's wow. supposed to so it's like okay here's this scene that they programmed in for me to find as an easter egg but it screws up the game's AI, Don't, only temporarily, but it's just hilarious. Wow, that's fascinating. Okay. It, it's pretty great. I did not know about the Prim thing, by the way, the the secret route. Uh, that's pretty cool, too. I always thought that the getting the goblin, uh, uh, getting attacked by goblins was like the default, but uh, there's so many, it's such a weird little game to, to sequence breaks. Like, I don't know. It, it's hard to, to say, really, what's proper and what's not. I always get heartburn, by the way, when I'm thinking about missing characters, because I can't miss characters. They all have to be in my game. <laughs> Fire Emblem is like so like that, because oh, there are yes. so many instances where if you do something wrong, you can totally miss a character without even realizing it. Or Persona. Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, my <laughs> God. Persona. Oh, that horrible feeling of, what, what am I supposed to be doing today? What am I supposed to be doing today? Who am yeah. I going to be missing? I'm going to be missing something because if I don't take this test and I don't do this yeah. and I don't do that, I'm going to totally miss out on this character. Oh, my God. Uh, Final Fantasy VI was kind of uh, notorious for that because you could uh, mo- you could lose Shadow. And the first time I played the game, I had no idea you could wait for him. He died. Mm. Um, that was me. Find- yeah, exactly. I did find Gogo and Umaro on my own, though. And uh, Wow. Gogo was a little impressive because you had to basically let your whole party get consumed by this one monster before you could find it. The yeah. Dune Sandworm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Uh, the Zone Eater. Man, I want to start a new game of Final Fantasy VI. I started one of my SNES Classic. I want to go back to it, but who the hell has time? Not me. Uh, <laughs> I should be playing Secret of Mana, but it's just like I'm kind of looking at it, giving it sidelong glances like, yeah. Such a I want to play this again. We should do a Final Fantasy VI report. 
We've both played it like to death, but we should do it. Yeah, that would be a long one to do. It would. I kind of want to get out of Final Fantasy for the next one. Okay, that's fair. I'll find something else to play. But uh, I do think that we should keep doing these reports. Uh, People seem to like them. Yeah, I like doing them. They're fun. (laughs) They are fun. And it's fun to kind of do a deep dive into an RPG. Mm -hmm. Uh, It seems like what this podcast is good for. But Mm -hmm. okay, so we'll be back next week. Axel Blood God is a U.S. Gamer podcast. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever podcasts are sold. Please do us a favor. Leave us a review if you're enjoying the show. That will help us our visibility. Leave us a review on Stitcher as well. That will also help our vi- visibility. Uh, and, of course, we love to hear from you. It yes. really makes our day when we hear from you and you're like, yeah, we love the show. And we're like, oh, we love you too. That's really amazing. <laughs> oh, my God. I, I feel energized and I keep wanting making this thing. <laughs> Because making this show is time consuming. We have to take a few hours out of our day. We have mm. to, I have to sit down and freaking edit the thing, get it all uploaded and everything. So a little bit of motivation outside of the fact that it's my job. <laughs> Extra motivation is never bad. Extra motivation is never bad. Check out our other podcast, the US Gamer Podcast, which I was on this past week. I was hosting it. Mm-hmm. And... We discussed, uh, let's see, we discussed Nintendo's review policies. We talked about South Park at some length. We talked about death and other existential things in the Mor- our Mortician's Tale discussion. And we talked, uh, we mourned Visceral. R.I.P. Yep, Such a sad day. Rip in peace. And, of course, follow us on all of the social medias. Uh, we stream every Tuesday and Thursday at 8 a.m., uh, sorry, 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern. Uh, this week I beat Mega Man X, Nadia. Yay, congratulations. It's I finally game. did it. It was an what amazing game. game. I might do it again, just, you know, to do it again. It's a really fun game to just bl- plow through once in a while. Just kind of blitz it? Yeah, yep. no, I, I feel like I can beat it in one sitting now. Yeah, so I feel pretty comfortable about it. That I gave it. Oh, it's amazing. It's, it's, mm. it's a phenomenal game, and I am now convinced that it's the best Mega Man. Yeah, I I agree with that. Okay. We will be back next week, as always, with another Final Fantasy IX report and all of the other RPG stuff. Maybe I'll get Jeremy on the show to talk about Etrian Odyssey 5 if he is agree. Maybe I'll talk a little bit about going to the Portland Retro Gaming Expo, which I'm going to go to tomorrow. Nice. Yeah, I'm really excited. Okay, until then, for Nani and myself, I've been Cat Bailey. Until then, happy adventuring. 